Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Football Podcast. Our thanks, uh, as ever, to Rehoy and Son for their support of the show. My name is Tony Kerr and with me this week, it's James Faller. Hi, Tony. And Simon Delarue. Hello. Afternoon, chaps. Um, we've got uh, a, well, a little bit of football to talk about this week. We've got some football that didn't happen to talk about uh, and an interview as well with um, someone who's given a lot to Guernsey football over the last 20 years, but who's moving on to new challenges elsewhere. Mike Garnett, um, former Sylvans coach and uh, Elizabeth College head of football, um, uh, joined us for a chat. So uh, we'll play that in a bit. Um, but let's start with uh, what didn't happen on Saturday, Del. Um which, yeah, was, the, which didn't happen at Foots Lane. That's it. The Rains Park Vale uh, visit to Guernsey FC didn't actually result in any football taking place, but uh, some interesting situations have been thrown up, shall we say? Oh, um, I like that. <laughs> the, the, first of all, um, Rains Park Vale are uh, clearly not happy to, this, uh, to the extent uh, that they're planning to put in a complaint uh, against Guernsey FC. When I spoke to the chairman, John Dalton, his uh, main beef seemed to be that uh, the club should have done more to communicate the state of the pitch to them. Um, he was of the view that there was never going to be a game on that um, because it was just not in a fit state. Um, I have to say that when I walked over onto it um, about the time that kickoff would have taken place, uh, I was kind of sinking into it a little bit. Uh, it was very, very soggy and there were some, uh, a couple of patches uh, that had been sanded that were sort of, you know, you feel like you could uh, draw water from it, <laughs> from a well, you know. It was a pretty, pretty grim. Um, so, yeah, I think he kind of had a point there, but um, it has been explained by um, against the FC that they can't call a game off officially uh, by league rules without a level three referee. Um, and so, you know, they're in a bit of a predicament themselves. Um I did. Th it only occurred to me after I'd interviewed him, actually, um, that, that if, if the one thing that he wanted, uh, Mr. Dalton, uh, had happened, which was earlier notice of a cancellation so that they didn't travel, uh, they still would be coming back on a Wednesday for the, the rearranged mm -hmm. fixture. And his complaint, when I asked him, well, what does he want to achieve with the complaint? He said, well, he wanted to, wants to come back on a Saturday. So I'm not really sure if he's necessarily going to get that out of the league. Um, but I could see his frustrations. This is a club that are vying for the title and for promotion. Um, so, you know, they, they feel that this has uh, uh, led to them having a bit of a setback in their, in their plans. But of course, for Guernsey FC, it's costing them thousands, 15,000 pounds potentially uh, for them if they do come back on a Wednesday they've got to put them up somewhere um, and you know costs galore so there's no question that Guernsey were pulling a fast one here you know they they were wanting the uh, the game to go ahead they thought it could um, ultimately it was uh, the referee turned on turning up just an hour before and saying no way it, it, it kind of shows though that that it seems like a bit of a gamble from GFC that didn't pay off. And, you know, when I think your report, Dell also says that they, you know, could have agreed and mutually agreed a postponement with, um, uh, with, with Rains Park. And, you know, really, in retrospect, that should have been done. I mean, nobody likes to travel not to play. What's the point in that? I mean, clearly they made an afternoon of it, but um, but by all accounts, but um, you know that is is a wasted time. You know that's cost incurred by GFC, and the, the reason that the, the pitch has to, you know the pitch had to be ruled playable or not playable by a visiting referee. I mean, everything adds up to say nightmare scenario. You know, and the and the ultimate nightmare came true, but. Anybody at the rugby on Friday night or even knowing that there was rugby going to be played on Friday night and the forecast for Saturday must have known that it, yeah, there was serious risk that game couldn't be played. You know, Tony and I were down there Friday night. 
you know, we, uh, well, I ventured on the pitch, so I think Tony had his posh shoes on. <laughs> uh, but, you know, dubious uh, in the extreme. And I just think, you know, it was a, something that should have been avoided uh, earlier on, you know. Yeah, and the fact yeah. that only three matches went ahead in the division, you know, it's not a unique situation to hear this this kind of wet, wet autumn winter that we had so far. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I know that, you know, Footslane, this, this isn't the first time Footslane has been subject to that kind of weather, but perhaps it's been the, the first time it's been subject to uh, a rugby match followed by that kind of weather within 24 hours uh, just before kickoff. Um, the point has been made that a cancellation has like this hasn't happened for eight years mm. so you can forgive them for you know thinking oh well we normally um, you know get through it you know and we don't want to uh, call a match off unnecessarily but uh, yeah I think I think the, the, the all at the club would probably accept uh, that in hindsight that it might have been wise to have uh, called this one uh, earlier and, and got in touch with the club and said oh, can we make rearrangements yeah let's hear what Nick Legg uh, GFC club director had to say to you Del um, down at Fitzlane as you say we've, we've paid for them to fly over today so that's um, you know, in, in total, uh, 30 people, if you're including the, the officials as well, the match officials, um, and they're going to have to come back over again on a Wednesday night, which means, um, you know, Wednesday night flights again, um, and then they will have to stay in a hotel. So Rain's Park Vale will go back this evening, um, but it, it does mean that this game, you know, ends up costing us probably around £15,000 by the time we paid for the flights again, and booking Foots Lane again because we'll have to pay for Foots Lane twice um, we'll also have to pay for the coach company twice um, and then adding on top of that a hotel cost so in terms of what it costs the club a massive amount of money um, so it's very disappointing um, but you know what I would say is we've not had a game off here in eight years um, so t- even though we had a lot of um, bad weather um, we were still fairly confident the game would go ahead, but obviously the referee makes that decision. Yeah, and you, you're not able to give a, an indication yourselves as to the state of the pitch beforehand to, to a referee, sort of communicate that sort of thing? We can, but the, the problem we've got here is um, to, to call the game off for a pitch inspection needs to be a level three referee. We, we don't have any of those on Ireland currently. Um, and it's not a problem we've had very often. Um, if if we were informed that the pitch was completely unplayable, you know, underwater, what we would have been able to do is send pitches to the league, uh, communicate with the away team and say to them, you know, let it's it's not worth your time coming here. And as long as both clubs agreed, we could have rearranged that for uh, a midweek. Obviously, most teams want to avoid coming here midweek. Um, so if there is a possibility of the game being on, um, they've got a chance of travelling. Uh, there was no um, kind of red flags, if you like, in terms of um, us being told the pitch was unplayable. Um, we, we were aware that there was a rugby game on Friday night. That went ahead, which was, like I say, a positive sign, even though you don't really want a game on it the night before. Um, but obviously, we, we were aware of the bad weather conditions, but we, we've had terrible weather in the past and, and this pitch has, has kind of responded remarkably so 
this is just one we've lost. Uh, it's frustrating. That's Nick Legg there speaking to me uh, before kickoff, actually, before the time that kickoff should have taken place anyway, at a pretty empty uh, foots lane. And uh, he did mention to me that um, the chairman, John Dalton, uh, had already gone with the, uh, the all, all of the players and the other officials of the club up to uh, a couple uh, a couple of jars at the uh, the doghouse. So I followed him uh, up there. And, you you uh, needed no prompting to follow him, I understand. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's anything for the cause, Jim, you know me. Um, so I, I actually uh, hoiked him out of a very noisy uh, pub uh, and uh, we went into the little beer garden there and uh, I spoke to him and got his thoughts about the situation. We're going to make a complaint to the league, obviously, because I think we've been, you know, we, we wouldn't have made Jerk Guernsey's you know, now we've got to put out. You know, we, we, we're challenging for the title. Do you know what I mean? So now we've got uh, people have got to take time off work, have a day off work, stay over. I know, I know Guernsey are going to get paid for the cost. I know they told me today that um, uh, the, the, the rearranged game will cost them 15 grand in the flights and the hotel overstay, and they, they want it on. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, uh, and and, and um, I can understand that. But you know, we have to have. We, we know we have to come. We know we, we are out of all the cups. We have no weekend games. No midweek games at all. So, so we are Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. So we're geared up for Saturdays. You know, we, we're having we're having friendlies, and we you know we're we're prepping ourselves for the running. And January, when and January and February are very big months for us, which I'm sure this game will be slipped in then. And guys, we have to take time off work. You know, we go, you know, we we we're, we're a professional club, and we 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 gearing ourselves up for. We had our full squad out here today. We all travelled out, and who knows what's going Wednesday's going to be like. You know, people working, and some people can't get work off off work. So, so, you know, we 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 you know we won't. You know, the the, the competition is really going to be hindered by us not being uh, valuable to put our strongest side out. Maybe we can. I'm not saying it's not a situation, but uh, it's, it's an inconvenience that didn't need to be had because we should have been. Like, if you're playing, if, you know, if you're playing rugby on a game on a pitch the night before, and apparently they said to me that. The, um, they, the, the rugby team has first choice over the pitch because they come, they were there first and, and, and the thing. So so obviously you know like my, my son's playing rugby, so I know that. And where all the whole all, the, all you know you see on our Twitter, you can see all the pitch. You know it's obviously never going to be on, never in a million years. And, and, I, and I don't understand why it wasn't looked at at seven o'clock this morning. We would have done that because we know the same situation with us. But we you know our pitch wouldn't have been played on by a rugby team, and it still wouldn't have been on. Because I've been there all week this week because we're refurbishing the you know the the, the ground for the you know for, for the new, new rules in the Ishmael League. So I'm there and I, I would have called off the game on a Friday night. But obviously they're playing the rugby. Oh, it's rugby they're playing, so they think oh it's okay. And then then it rained this morning and all the holes are, and, and if you see on the Twitter you'll see all the all the photographs we took this morning. Rains Park Vale chairman uh, speaks to you there, Dell. Um, yeah, sort of alluded to. Um, what kind of transpired later on in the day with their journey back. Um, a bit of coverage, I think, in the paper on Tuesday, so um, you can look out for that. Uh, as for GFC, um, yeah, obviously that game will have to be rearranged. They've got two massive games now to come before Christmas, two trips, um, which, well, we'll see whether they, they get on or not, but trips to Northwood and then Binfield. Northwood, who are 17th in the table, and Binfield, who are bottom, um, just below GFC. Yeah, and can I just mention as well that um, the next home game is on the 30th of December against Sutton Common yeah. Rovers. And um, 
I, I have written about this in, in today's paper, but uh, it's worth mentioning again because the, the, some at the club were quite anxious about this. Um, the, the match before Christmas annually is the one where they do food bank collections and they've raised lots of money and um, produced lots of hampers for families in straightened circumstances on the island to make sure that they have some, uh, you know, something really... Um, nice to have at Christmas, and um, they—it's been reported. You know, they're very uh, appreciative these families of these hampers that get put together. And of course, because there were so few people there at Foots Lane, they took about a quarter of what they might ordinarily. Um, so, um, if you go to the uh, club website, you'll see some details about how uh, food bank, bank donations uh, can still be made. Yeah, it's a great initiative that they've done for a number of years, isn't it? And so, uh, yeah, do support it if you can. Thanks very much to Dell. Uh, he's popped in on his day off to uh, tell us about his uh, his afternoon or, or a couple of hours at Foots Lane. Some of us make the commitment for these podcasts, Tony. Unlike you last week. Well, yeah, I did have a did have a week off and uh, yeah, missed and an I, absolute yeah boring affair. I, I've been waiting all week to tell you about this game, Tony. You know, um, so uh, yeah, prayer for the last two weeks. We've only had three games. Um, two week or two weekends ago now. Uh, Sylvan's put eight past Bells, uh, fairly conclusive result that one, uh, and probably the game of the season so far at the at, uh, the KG Five, which had drew a big crowd as well. To be fair, uh, Rangers five, Alderney five, um, you know six goals in the first half. Alderney twice came back from two goals down, and this of course is a team that up to that point had scored three goals in eight matches. So uh, to score five in one game, and but then not win was quite sensational. Um, so uh, eventually uh, drew level at four all with a penalty from Josh Concannon and then won a penalty in the fourth minute of injury time, uh, which uh, Josh took again and scored a bottom corner. Seb Shepherd got a hand to it, but couldn't keep it out. Uh, and that would have been Alderney's first league win since uh, August 2022. Uh, but it wasn't to be because <laughs> uh, Rangers from the kickoff kind of wrestled the ball off uh, off an Alderney midfielder. Uh, you know, it was borderline foul, I would have said, but anyway. Uh, and um, uh, and then uh, substitute Jose Camacho uh, just let fly from about 30 yards and it ended up in the back of the net. And that was basically the last kick of the game. So, um, you know, it was a, a thriller minute from from, uh, from first to last. Yeah, think. outrageous. That's awesome. Um, and on to this weekend, Jim, um, you're back at KG5 for another game for Alderney against Sylvan. Yeah, I mean, a bit of a surprise at Alderney came over given the wind uh, and obviously they were shorn of a few players uh, compared to the week before uh, which was a shame but nil nil at half time but uh, Sylvans I've got to say so uh, Sylvans ran out of 4-1 winners um, got to say actually they really impressed me um, tactically uh, in terms of team shape and players knowing what they're doing in a attacking context uh, I thought they were really quite impressive you know they play three at the back um, they have done for some while, and I, and I've you know seen. I don't see an awful lot of Sylvans, but I have seen them use James Ravenscroft as the right wing back as perhaps one of their main attacking uh, assets. You know, try. Um, you know, also on Saturday, Simon Arnold was nominally playing wide right, but he kept on dropping off and cutting inside to create the space. Obviously, not much space on the three G, but to create space for James Ravenscroft to to go down the line and and be an, another attacker. Um, so uh, yeah, and it went uh, went well. Um, they uh, twice you know kind of broke the offside trap to score. Um, Yannick Radford scored a excellent equaliser for Alderney, somewhat out of the blue. It, uh, Curled it in. If anybody's seen the Jersey Bulls goal uh, yeah, for the weekend, Butler's yeah, goal, yeah. Uh, this was the kind of the, the similar, but from the other side of the pitch. So this is right footed and into the bottom corner rather than the top corner, but yeah, similar kind of bend on on the ball. It was a great finish. 
but yeah, and then yeah, two goals in the last 10 minutes, put a little bit of a gloss on it uh, from Sylvan's point of view. But yeah, they were the better side. They, they deserve to win. And actually, you know, they're on a bit of a roll now. Um, you know, won three games in a row, scored 15 goals across those three games. Uh, and frankly, I'm interested to see what, what they do next. I mean, they got half their team is playing in the under-18s league or ha- half of the matchday squad from Saturday was certainly playing uh, in the under-18s the day after. Um, but, you know, that's a cl- team and a club that really looks to be going places. So, uh, yeah, and, and congratulations to them for what they've achieved so far. Yeah, top of the league in the 16s and 18s uh, as things stand. Um, fourth in the Prio, they've played 11 games. I mean, they've played five more than Saints um, uh, and North. But, uh, yeah, 15 points and, um, yeah, kind of yeah, enjoying a really good uh, little run. Um, now, one man who's been a familiar face um, around... Uh, St. Peter uh, is Mike Garner over the last few years. Of course, a very familiar face um, for anyone uh, at Elizabeth College as well, where he's been head of football for, well, what did he say, 20 years, um, which is an, a very, very impressive uh, tenure there. Um, we're going to hear from him in a moment. Jim, we caught up with him. But yeah, someone who's uh, he's had a really interesting kind of, well, made a really interesting contribution to local football. Yeah, I mean, people you know, just around pitches might not have seen too much of, of Mike because he's only been in club dugouts for the past five or so years but before that he was involved in Guernsey under 18s as assistant to Martin Scott uh, and he's also played a, a big role in um, in coach education in Guernsey uh, going back probably more than 15 years or so uh, so there's quite a few people who are in dugouts currently who, uh, who owe a big debt to uh, to Mike Garnett um, for, you know, for, for the contribution that he's made towards their their development it's easy to, uh, uh, to, you know, to underestimate uh, the, the the value he's offered to, uh, to Guernsey football over that time. Yeah, he's off to take on a, a new interesting challenge at a school in London. Um, as he told us, um, and we also chatted to him about well, his time in Guernsey, um, yeah, that coach development role, um, and how things have developed at Sylvans as well, where it does seem to be uh, bubbling along nicely. Well, when I first came over to, to Guernsey, um, I wasn't head of football actually at college. That was a uh, job held by Gellar Apshon. He uh, then left uh, Elizabeth College, so I took over head of football in 2002. And uh, in that time, I sort of developed myself, really, um, and developed my coach, having to have some players of a really good ability, uh, particularly my Channel Island winning team of 2004 that included some Ross Allens. Um, uh, am I right that to- Tony Kerr was constantly on the bench <laughs> for that one, uh, Mike, wasn't he? I don't think it included Tony Kerr. Yeah, <laughs> I think I spent most of the time yeah, can, uh, looking on the notice board and, and finding my name not there. <laughs> so yeah so I did that for for a number of years and then um in 2010 I, I always quite took candlelight reinvent myself in different ways and in 2011 I got my level three and then from there some jobs came up in the FA in terms of education and I got to be a level one tutor which I, I used to label with Angus Mackay um but also at that time the EFA brought out this mentoring scheme and I applied to be an FA mentor. So I was then involved in going around local clubs, working with various individuals at at clubs, uh, Sylvans and Rangers, being two specifically. Um, and actually, it was a mentoring uh, digger at that point, along with some other coaches. Um, so I did some with Anna and uh, Anna Gover, Govine and uh, Katie Watson as well. Uh, really enjoyed that role. Um, and then uh, when when COVID struck, the FA sort of stopped the funding for that. Um, 
I'd also, at that time, sorry, also got to be a level two tutor and a level three tutor. Um, so I met a number of coaches over the island delivering, uh, assisting delivering level one, level two. And then when we ran the level three on the island as well, so I was involved in that and that was a really great experience. Um, and then it was just following that, so then joined into, got involved in Sylvan's. And it was great then after being in an island under 18 coaching role for so long, where you just see them early uh, once a week and you barely got any games just to be on the weekly uh weekly matches was a great experience and and just dealing with my management and and not only just delivering coaching sessions but yeah having a team and tactics and working out how to beat teams on a weekly basis so that was something really enjoyable yeah, awesome. And as you say, those connections and presumably with Rangers and then and, and obviously Sylvan's um kind of led you, yeah. led you to get so involved there. Um yeah, it, how um obviously it sounds like you really relished that opportunity. How different was it t- taking kind of senior players to to the uh you know, the the the, the school teams that you've been used to? Um it's very similar to to be honest. Um we we coaching the same kind of things at that at that level in that age group. Um, just having the, the weekly games over a, a long season, having a preseason was just uh, much more exciting naturally, and and the challenges that you had with each team that came up because your opposition was often stronger, and it was just working out how to how to best play against teams. And we and we had some enormous, some very successful seasons. So the FA Cup went for Sylvans was uh, a really special moment. Um, in particular, yeah, I've got. I was filming that from uh, in between the dugouts at Corbett Field, and um, yeah, there's a, the clip of uh, well, it's a fantastic angle for Tiago's um, kind of curled shot into the top corner, and uh, yeah, you can the, the, your celebration is um, it stands out in that clip. I think yeah, it meant a lot. Running off the pitch wasn't like jumping <laughs> up there for that one. Bit uh, Jose Mourinho esque was it? No knee slide though, not in the yeah, summertime really. though, Mike. Was it? <laughs> Um, uh, Mike, you, so uh, you've had a wide exp- uh, coaching uh, experience, which I, I uh, recall actually. Um, the uh, over that time, over the time you've been in Guernsey, the standard of coach education, and I guess this has been driven by the FA as well, but has risen markedly. I think probably at the time when you arrived to, to do minis, you just had to put your hand up and get a tracksuit and a pair of football boots and uh, and start you know, doing stuff with kids on a Saturday morning. And now, of course, then you move to the the basic level one and then accelerated learning for for for, for um uh, wannabe coaches i mean you must be pleased at the part you've played in in bringing on coaching standards in guernsey uh, over over the, the over past 15 years at least I, I hope so. I hope that the the, the, the work that's been done and I'm going to say Angus ran uh, quite a lot of the courses as well so that we've actually improved the standards. I, I think the mentoring scheme was a fantastic a, a, a fantastic scheme run by the FA and it's a, it's a shame the funding stopped to to the extent that it did um, because we were able to then work with coaches after they got the level ones and then sort of help them develop about how to how to make training sessions. But I just see on the island in general as, as coaching and people want to be more knowledgeable, the access to information's much better. And, and you can see that coaches are really trying to move things on with their teams and really trying to develop 
uh, are playing style with their teams. Um, and, and it's just a case now of, of coaches just need to, to start looking at how about a little bit more about how they can do that on the ground and the train on the training ground, how that will how that will work from the training ground. And what's been your, you know, obviously when you came to Guernsey, what was your view of Guernsey football and how do you think it's developed over the past 20 years? I always thought Guernsey football standard was really high. Obviously there was no GFC when I first arrived. So the Prio standard with the players involved uh, was, a, was a really good standard. And, and I think GFC has been good for Guernsey. I, I, I think that's something that for our players to aspire to. I think for some of our young players with the links that GFC have got with Bristol City gives an avenue for players to take that step further. And that's a fantastic opportunity that I know Tony's worked really hard to develop. Um, and I think is what I see in the UK is a lot of these academies, mainly a lot of private academies or the ones that belong to, to some some colleges saying that well, we, we can offer an opportunity for you to get into professional football. But I don't think any of them have got the success rate that, um, that GFC have. <laughs> My, so obviously at Sylvans for the past few years, you've had a, a transition of players, haven't you? Really, and and to the point that now, uh, you know, I was, I was watching your team at the weekend. I mean, you have surely haven't got anybody over thirty. Perhaps you haven't even got anybody over twenty-five. Um, you know, uh, is is that that an interesting dynamic or, or a nice group to work with at the moment? It's a fantastic group to work with. Um, it's. Uh, I mean, we have got, I've got a few a few older players, but like you said, I, I think most of our, our average age, I think our oldest player, I think, uh, on, on the weekend, I think was 27. Um, but we've got a lot of youngsters there. Uh, and they're like sponges. They just want to learn. And they're fantastic at just wanting to learn and just get better every game. And, and you couldn't ask for a better group of players to work with, to be honest. We we worked hard to try and get the the team spirit there, uh, and there's a number of things we've put in place, and and I think that's a really important thing. It, it's these young players are coming in, but having the confidence to play and know that they are going to make mistakes, like all players do in a team, but that actually everybody's on their side, and that there is no fear of playing for our team, and. Um, you see the weekend we, we try to play football we we have different tactics but we try to play the ball out we try to play it around and when you're playing out from the back and you've got someone like 17 year old George Montgomery who's then comfortable on the ball and will dr- drop his shoulder and beat a man in front of his own goal you, you know you've got a good you've, you've got a good um, environment for players to, to flourish and that's what we hope we've developed in there yeah, I mean, I th- um, sorry, I, I, th- I thought tactically you were, um, you know, uh, intelligent and really it feels like, you, you know, you are, you know, I've said over the years, you know, sometimes some teams in the, in the lower half of the league are, you know, almost an exercise in filling shirts to, to, to play a game. The impression that Sylvans is that you are genuinely building something, both, you know, in terms of player development and tactically. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it must be slight frustration for you that, that when the results are really starting to pick up, you're on your way. There, it, is, it is fantastic. And, and there's some more more players coming through in the future. We've got, uh, there's a very good under 16 side and there's some exciting players coming through. We'll always get players that leave. Um, just we, we may get some that go to university, but we know we've got some more coming through. And as we said, you, you don't need many players to stay, as long as you can keep your core that add to that. And you add, you, you add your quality players um, and you keep developing them as they are and they keep coming to the environment. Um, 
the club will just continue to develop. I, I remember a conversation with Barry Moroni just saying that for Rovers, when they won the Prio last year, it was a 10-year journey. Uh, I think he said it was 10 years ago they came bottom of the Prio with no points. And and that's that's where we are on that journey. Hopefully it's not going to be 10 years. We think we will be... We think it could be quicker than that, but that is that is our aim. We we something really to look forward to. Um, in terms of training, um, we we're having generally between twenty two and twenty eight training turning up for every training session on our seniors, which is an amazing thing. It's hard to manage, but it, it's <laughs> absolutely amazing that they were getting so many players just turning up twice a week, and, and the atmosphere of the club is fantastic. They had the Christmas do after. After the game, on after your game against Alderney, and the number of people there, and the the, the just the, the the atmosphere between them all was fantastic. My wife was actually just come over to the island after being away, and she just said, "She said that's a team. You can just see it. You're a team." Yeah, but that's that sort of that's the sort of team spirit that's carried Rovers uh, or that kind of club ethos that's carried Rovers, doesn't it, to to a successful uh, kind of era, if you like. Uh, yeah, very it much sounds, so. sounds like very yeah, much. you're on the same track. And in terms of school sports, Mike, um, what kind of sort of picture do you do you leave things in? I mean, uh, it's obviously changed quite a lot in those twenty years that you've been involved. But um, I mean, is there a, is there a bright future for schools football in, in Guernsey? I think school football can really offer an opportunity for some students that don't play football for clubs because they've chosen other sports for various reasons. I think that gives an opportunity to go out there and play for schools. I hope now that when we're narrowing down the number of schools, we've just reducing the number of schools now, that actually there's an opportunity for schools to produce more than one team. And I know that all has a lot to do with staffing, and I hope that happens because when we've played, uh, there's quite a number of schools getting B teams out now, and I hope that expands further to that the schools can actually staff and it, it's not about the pupils and it's not about the PE teachers are there because they're doing a fantastic job and actually working uh, incredibly long hours. But it's just about if, if they can get to staff more than one team, I think you'd see a, a huge growth in, in terms of what, what schools can offer. And, and then it's just a case of then of just trying to balance extracurricular sport within your own school and fixtures. So you're able to run clubs and you're able to do fixtures as well. And I think if the... If the schools can to, can get their staffing right, and they can get these, they can get the children out uh, doing both clubs uh, and and fixtures. I think Guernsey is is a fantastic place for sport. And as, as somebody said, actually, one of the teachers knew on the island just said, he said, "You play a lot of fixtures here compared to the mainland," uh, and then it's true. We just got to get that balance between giving them all the participation and and the competitiveness in, in a number of sports. So I hope that see that growth. Yeah. So, so Mike, what's the, uh, so you're leaving all that behind. What's the next move for you now? Uh, so my next thing, I've got um, a new challenge. I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm starting at, a, starting at a girls' school to develop football, and I've kind of been just given a blank slate. Uh, it's a school that's got a new, a new head teacher and he wants to develop its sport, and they just said, um, make us good at football. Uh, and it's an all-girls all school, isn't it? I mean, that, that, that must so, a, a, a big school as well. I mean, if you, would you have a lot of players? Um, it, in terms of size, it'll probably class as a small school, but it's not. It's got 600 girls. So, Okay, so a, a kind of Elizabeth College size almost in many ways. Yeah, yes. 
Okay, that, that must be tremendously exciting. Uh, if you, you haven't done anything specifically in the women's game before, have you? No, no, I, I did some work with, obviously, with um, Katie uh, and Anna, but not specifically with with, uh, with the girls' teams. We, on some of our coach education courses, we, we had the girls as well. So it's, as I said, I, I, I like to get new challenges. And uh, there are a number of reasons why I'm leaving the island at this point in time, but it's... Um, it the challenge is exciting and it's something I'm looking forward to. I've probably got 10, 10 to 12 years left of my working life, so it's having that new challenge for for the last part of my career. Well, I think we, we wish you all the best and it certainly would be nice to see you bring your uh, your sixth form team over to play the uh, the GFC women uh, for a, a weekend or so in uh, in a year or two's time, maybe. That would be nice to see you back in, in that, that environment. That would be exciting. Yeah, that would be an exciting team. As I said, I, I, I've been on this island for a long time. I've got so many friends here. I, I'd just like to say that I, I, I've loved every minute on Guernsey. It is such a wonderful place. And, and it's been a privilege to be part of the Guernsey community for for nearly 25 years. And um, I will be a regular visitor back on the island, that's for sure. So I'm sure you'll see me around at, at, up at St. Peter's or somewhere. Yeah, I think well, it is. Um, the thanks is reciprocated. And I think even Tony might forgive you for not picking him for those uh, <laughs> for, for that first eleven back in the day. But we can all understand why. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's it. I'm no, no longer seeing you uh, grace the turf on the OE's matches. <laughs> anymore, so. well, I've got the trophy on my desk, so uh, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so hopefully, we'll keep our hands on that next year. Yeah, th- thanks for your time, oh, Mike. Nice to speak to you, and, uh, and all the best for the future. Okay. But please uh, do consider bringing your team back if uh, if that's possible. I think that would be uh, that would be great. I look forward to doing that. Mike Garnett speaking to James and I there. Uh, yeah, we wish him all the best um, with that new challenge over in London, and uh, yeah, see him back in the island soon. Um, right into the final part of today's pod, and we're joined by our colleague Olivia Thompson for a debut on the GP Football Podcast. Welcome, Olivia. Hi, yeah. Good to see you. You've been down at the KG5 um, covering a couple of the junior games because it was a, a big uh, Sunday, wasn't it, on the uh, on the 3G in the under-18s and under-16s? Uh, yeah, following CF Independent in the morning, <laughs> which wasn't so big, so we'll move on for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's talk about those two games. Um, why don't we start with the under-18s? Because uh, yeah, we mentioned them before. Um, uh, Sylvan's going very well there and continued that good form. Yeah, so it was 5-2 to Sylvan's. Um, they, they dominated possession in the early part of the first half. Um and Zach Gilman got their first goal um, in the 25th minute, followed by another one for Ben Leprevo, which like, went into the left top corner. It was a nice goal. Um, and then, yeah, Rangers came back from 2-0 down um, with Charlie Lasher and Leon Solano making it 2-2 before halftime. So that was good. The second half, Ben Jones um, scored in the 70th minute, making it 3-2 for Sylvans. Uh, and yeah, Leprevo then got his second minutes later, with Harry Hodgson making it 5-2. Pretty exciting game. At the 90th minute, yeah, it was a good one to watch. What really did you enjoyed of, it. Yeah, what did you make of the way uh, Sylvan's youngsters performed? Okay, they did really well, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, held themselves quite well. And even when Rangers were having their kind of moments, yeah, still very good. Yeah, it sounds like quite an exciting young team they've got there, Jim. Yeah, I mean, I've seen uh, quite a few of those lads play now. And, uh, and obviously they've been playing in under 18s now for this is their third season for many of those lads and you know it's been a period of struggle but actually being able to take a team when you haven't got senior players as such being able to take a team through 
uh, and you know, with few expectations really. If you win a handful of games, that's the result, isn't it? When your team of 16, 17s in the, in the under 18s, so they've been able to you know grow in in that environment. And last year they did, uh, although they didn't get that many results, they did rock a few um, a few teams on on, on occasion. Um, and uh, you know now the, you know, that experience is uh, is. Uh, has showed up well for them. Um, and Rangers are kind of in a similar situation. I just think Sylvans probably have a bit more depth in, in that squad and they've now beaten Rangers twice. Uh, so, you know, one would think they are now in a in a prime position to go on and take that title. But, you know, St Martins are a team that you wouldn't want to underestimate their third. And if they, you know, are fully motivated and have a full team on any given day, they can certainly pull a shock. So there's still a lot to be played for that in that division. Yeah, Sylvan's four points clear of that one. Um, Olivia, there was another game, wasn't there, on the afternoon? Tell us about that one. Yep, so it was the under-15s with North and Rovers playing. Um, ended 3-2 in favour of North. Um, they started off well, North with um, a goal in three minutes from Jack Sylvester. Um, and the chances were going their way in the early part of the first half. Um, but Rovers came back with chances of their own soon after and equalised. Um, Theo Cooper scored in the 33rd minute, making it 1-0. And then, yeah, just before halftime, Matthew Jackson scored again for North. So putting them in front at the break. And yeah, Jack Sylvester got his second in the second half um, for Rovers. And then Alfie Torrod made it. 3-2 for North, which was, yeah, quite a moment. Yeah, another interesting game. W- w- was that a fair result on the afternoon? Yeah, I think it was. I think North probably played better. But yeah, both teams, it was quite equal, to be honest. I think there's some exciting talent in those two sides. Mm, yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. There's certainly some names. I mean, Rovers have got uh, two names that will be familiar to any GFC fans with uh, young Freddie Cochran and uh, Aston Young uh, in their ranks uh, with famous GFC dads. Uh, so I'd be interested to chart their uh, career development. But the, I so that result puts North top of the table now, I understand. But the dark horses there are Vale Rec, who are simmering in third, but they uh played five games unbeaten in all five but or in fact five wins haven't they got but um they haven't played rovers or north at all yet so there's quite a lot to play for in that in that division yeah just one point separating the top three um as you say wreck uh with two games in hand of rovers um north with uh yeah well top of the table now but with a game in hand still on rovers as well so um yeah again bubbling away quite nicely uh uh in that competition um livia thanks for telling us about those um i think that's probably just about it for this week i wanted to mention a former gfc player as well uh jim i don't know how closely you follow the scottish premiership these days um but will dennis in goal for kilmarnock um and they they beat celtic two one uh at the weekend so um yeah he's on loan i think still from bournemouth so uh, yeah someone who appeared for gfc a few times um but yeah doing well up in scotland so that's good to see well that is uh yeah i mean that's impressive it's nice to see um you know the the the, the pipeline of loan players seems to have uh dried up nowadays but uh, yeah it'd be interesting to see what what in fact all of those guys who've played on loan for gfc over the years would be interesting to see where they are nowadays yeah because uh, well, I'm sure you know, some have gone on to better things and, and some maybe less so. Yeah, Cameron Pring for sure is doing very well yeah. in the um, mainstay of that, that Bristol City first team. So uh, yeah, we'll see whether uh, any more make that trip at some point over. Um, but yeah, thanks Olivia for popping in for your, for your pod, David. We'll have you back on. Thank you, yeah. Good stuff. And Jim, cheers. We'll see you next time. Yeah, cheers. Cheers.